Hello, and welcome to the Ordinary People's Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Sheehan. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our comedy mixtapes, mini soaps, and short stories. Super smart tales with a dark twist. With the occasional classic tale thrown in for good measure. We upload here on the first Monday of the month, and for more information about us, go to ordinarypeoplestheatre.co.uk. Enjoy the show. Christmas Carol by Emma Sheehan. Smiling to herself, Carol put down, picked up and then put down again the invitation on her mantelpiece. It was thick, made of a stiff expensive card, cream in colour and edged in gold. The writing was in a lovely old-fashioned calligraphy style in mid-blue. It was the kind of blue that brought to mind an old-fashioned fountain pen. Carol smiled faintly again as she was reminded of the pen she had used as a child at St Timothy's, the private school she had attended until her parents decided it was a waste of money and sent her instead to Plumstead Manor School for Girls, where they used blotchy biros and wore cardigans instead of blazers. She pulled herself back into the present and entered the bedroom, grabbed a scrunchie and pulled her hair up in a bun in readiness for her bath. Today was not a day for a common or garden shower. Today was definitely a bath day. After luxuriating in an oily tub for a good 45 minutes, Carol dressed in a dark green sequin dress and unwound her brown hair. Pleased with a slight curl the damp had produced and snaked it over to one side and placed a gold and emerald clip just above her ear. Gazing into the mirror, she chuckled a little bit as she pictured her mother's face when she saw the length of this dress and anticipated her remark. I'm surprised you think that dress is suitable for a woman in her fifties, Carol. But continuing her gaze, Carol thought how good her legs looked. Sturdy is what her mother had always called them. But Carol thought they were good legs and in this dress, she thought she had a look of Carol Vorderman. The toot of a horn broke into her thoughts and slipping into the dark blue satin high-heeled shoes, she topped the outfit with a full-length faux fox fur coat, tucked the gold-edged invitation into a green clutch bag, arranged her hair once more, and walked down the path to the waiting taxi and slipped inside and onto the soft leather seat with another smile and a brief hello to the driver. Today was not a day for the commoner garden bus. Today was definitely a day for a taxi. The taxi ride was smooth and warm and Carol took a few deep breaths as the car glided and came to a stop outside the magnificent facade of the Randolph Hotel. It blazed a bright welcome with its tasteful Christmas candles in the windows. And, pausing for one more deep breath, she emerged in one movement, lifted her chin and strode smiling too and greeted the waiting flunky with a smile as she showed him her invitation. I'm expected, she said. The flunky gave a small nod and directed her to the magnificent Lancaster room. To quote the hotel's website, 
The informal room features five full-length windows showcasing stunning views of the Ashmolean Museum from sunrise to sunset. The door to the room was open and Carol could hear the buzz of excited chatter and glasses chinking and caught her first glance of the chandeliers and the duck egg blue curtains as she made her long-awaited entrance to a ripple of applause that gradually grew as the congregation turned to greet her with smiles and dewy eyes. She stopped for a moment and placed her freshly manicured hand to her chest, now decadence oxygenated lacquer in shade Sultan Emerald by Gucci and made her mouth into a little oh of surprise, a look she'd been practising since September. Then a microphone sprung to life in a dulcet Oxford tone and announced the lady of the hour to more oohs and ahs and Carol's eyes moved slowly around the room until they fell on a table near the front of the room where her parents sat with their ever-present half-frowns, their mouths a little moo of disappointment and adopting their usual atmosphere of bewilderment in company other than their own. Moving her hand from her chest, she half-lifted it in their direction, approached them, and nearly reached their table, when a large man with swept-backed, unnaturally black hair and three chins swept into view, took both of her hands in his sausage-shaped ones. Carol, at last, I've heard so much about you. I'm Leslie Ackroyd, Lord Mayor of Alphine City. My dear, what can I say that could sum up how honoured we are to have this teeny tiny party for you? Words aren't enough. Let me grab you a champagne and introduce you to the sheriff. The man then turned in his red robe, his chains of office glinting and slightly clanking as he turned and began a small wave at a group of waiters. Carol's eyes met her mother's raised eyebrows she parted her lips to greet her, but her mother beat her to it and began the first of her many monologues of the night. Is that really the Lord Mayor of Oxford? What on earth is he talking to you about, Carol? Is that the dress you're going to be wearing for this shindig? Are you getting changed into something more suitable for a woman of 56? I hope so. Don't you hope so, Colin? Her mother paused for breath as she turned to her husband for support. Her father, never one for his own thoughts, quickly agreed. I don't think so, Christine. Your legs look a bit stocky in that miniskirt number, Carol. Yes, they look a tad sturdy, Carol. I wasn't sure if you were wearing a skirt or a belt. Ignoring their words as they were nothing new to her, Carol said, I'm so happy you made it. Yes, that is the Mayor of Oxford. I would hope he would be talking to me as it's my event in my honour. And it's a dress, Dad, a very expensive dress. It's one from Gucci. What do you mean an event in your honour? Who would honour you? Why? I was a bit confused by the invitation, to be honest. Me and your father just put our heads round the door on the way to Martin and Marlene's, just to be polite. But to be honest, Carol, your invite was a bit rambling and confusing. You could have at least gone to Marks and Spencer's for something a bit more formal, rather than this flimsy mutton dresser's lamb number. Oh, she's always confusing us with daft things, though, Christine, chimed her father. I thought the invitation was very clear, Mum. I'm the special guest at this event. It's given in my honour to recognise all I've done for the City of Oxford, my charity work, etc. It's just silly, really, but word spread around once I'd been in the papers a bit and the Lord Mayor, Deputy Mayor and Sheriff of Oxford all voted unanimously to honour me. It's embarrassing, but here we are. She smiled as her mother warmed to the Martin and Marlene theme. 
Yes, we can't wait to get to Martin's, can we, Colin? Did he tell you they've got two Christmas trees in the house, one in the back garden and one in the front garden, all it up for the whole street to see? Oh, oh, and don't forget, Christine, one of the neighbours put a photograph up of it on the Twitters and Marlene said someone had actually written a comment and said that it was elegant. Yes. That's right, Carl. Yes, on the Twitters. Have you heard of the Twitters, Carol? It's on the online. I have, Mum. When I was a typist, I worked in an office with the internet and the online and... Carol was stopped mid-sentence. Of course, that's your sister-in-law all over, isn't it, Carol? Elegant. She's a very elegant lady, is Marlene. We've always said that, haven't we, Christine? Very elegant. She's very slim, very well turned out. She doesn't boast and brag like some people I could mention. But she does get a lot of her bits from Marks and Spencers and... It was her mother who cut over her father this time. Hold on. You was in the papers. What you in the papers for? Charity work. Did you hear that, Colin? Did you know about any charity work? What charity work, Carol? We thought you were a typist online in the drab office. No. No one told me, of course. I suppose family's always the last to know, Christine. Her father said rather loudly as people on other tables began to turn and watch and listen to the conversation. Although she was always blowing her own trumpet over nothing at school, wasn't she? Making a show of herself even back then, as I recall. Carol threw back her head and laughed. A deep throaty laugh. She was starting to laugh a little bit like Carol Vorderman now too. <laughs> oh, Mum, school was a very long time ago. I'm 56 now, silly. Well, I was a typist many moons ago. Then executive secretary, then head of business for the firm. We turned our eyes towards giving something back and one thing led to another and... She was interrupted by a little chink of silver cutlery on a champagne flute. As the room quietened and all eyes turned to the stage and the Lord Mayor began to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending tonight. We know none of you would have missed this opportunity to say thank you, to honour one of our own, Carol Cleary. The room raised their glasses as one, except for two. Carol Cleary! The shout went up all across the room as the first toast was toasted. A lady whose tireless work, boundless energy and selfless support puts us all to shame. Carol took a seat at her parents' table, set her face into an angelic gaze with her head tilted slightly on the side and bathed in the glow of the honey-dripped words from the days. She kept her eyes firmly on Leslie Aykroyd as a blonde-haired man in a too-tight suit sidled up to their table with a large leather book and slipped into the remaining seat and began to talk to her parents, Christine and Colin Cleary. How do you do? You must be Carol's parents. Well, all I can say is congratulations to that. You must be so proud. I'm Leon Crabb, head of PR at the firm. I wasn't eavesdropping, of course, but I couldn't help overhearing a snatch of what you said and wondered if you had copies of these yourselves. I know what that naughty Carol is like, so self-effacing. I wonder if she ever alerted you to all of these. Leon stopped and unzipped the expensive-looking portfolio and began to take out clippings and newspaper cuttings and lay them out in front of the pair. Taking the quickest of glances, Carol saw a couple of headlines. Superwoman Carol saves the day again. Girl Wonder takes Oxford firm global with world-beating ideas. Carol Cleary, surely getting a mention in the New Year's honours list this time. From South London to Central Oxford, next stop the palace for Carol Cleary. 
and she had to suppress a Vorderman-style laugh as she saw the last thing that Leon Crabbe placed down was a glossy copy of Ox magazine with Carol's face very airbrushed. Her hair swept back and tucked behind her ears, a shot reminiscent of a Grace Kelly portrait, the headline, Oxford Person of the Year, Carol Cleary at Christmas. Um, well, well, yes, of course, I think we have most of them, don't we, Colin? Oh, yes, dear. Yes, of course we do. Uh, well, these are display copies for tonight's after-party. I'd love to courier over a complete, pristine set for yourselves, just in case you have any gaps in your collection. I'll get the address from Carol's PA. Have a lovely evening. Leon Crabbe left the table as Colin and Christine began to pour through the newspaper cuttings, wide-eyed, their heads very close together. Leslie Ackroyd was in full swing, and Carol took the opportunity to disengage while her face remained a mask. So the moment was finally here. It was now or never. The threads had all been laid, and this was the moment to pull them all together. She felt less than she thought she would. Her parents' attitude towards her was nothing new. The lack of interest, the invalidation of her, their clear preference for a pompous, pedantic brother and his wife, their blatant disappointment of her. None of it knew, so none of it bringing any fresh perspective to her. But to Christine and Colin, yes, this was a very new perspective. The Clearies were getting on in life, both over 80 years old now, and two had been pulling the strings of their lives together as they began to put their affairs in order. Not that they were planning on shuffling off this mortal coil in the very near future, but they didn't want to leave any loose ends for poor Martin and Marlene, as they would inherit the estate, of course, and what with poor Carol, her pokey, flat and lousy typist job, she'd be totally clueless dealing with the business, the properties, the share portfolio, etc. Of course, they told her in no uncertain terms that she shouldn't expect a handout from them. She hadn't even bothered to get wed and provide some grandkiddies. She was the one who was making a fuss, whereas their son, Martin, had actually got a proper career, a detached house with a double garage. But this... This, this unexpected party, this strange revelation that Carol... Their Carol wasn't who she thought they were at all. She was a big shot. She was a business person. She was a benefactor. The Lord Mayor of Oxford was chucking parties for her. And perhaps they'd better find out sharpish if they hadn't got things slightly wrong. Of course, Martin and Marlene were wonderful. I mean, they were virtually net zero and had an electric car and played squash. But the Clarys began to talk amongst themselves as the Lord Mayor was starting to milk it a bit, droned on and on. And for the first time in 56 years, Christine and Colin Cleary wondered if they'd better take a step back and make sure they weren't back in the wrong horse. Mr and Mrs Cleary, welcome and thank you. I'm Sir Donald Lightley, Sheriff of Oxford. A slight man with a probable wig had approached the table. No, no, please stay seated. He gestured with both hands as the Clearies arose to what they thought was the local royalty. I couldn't let the opportunity pass without congratulations to you for all your efforts in bringing such a lovely, talented, special woman into the world. I really don't know how we could manage without her. Her insight, her thoughtfulness, her incredible fundraising... Oh, Sir Ronald, we are so honoured to meet you and... began Christine in her best telephone voice. Call me Ron, please. Well, you may well have to in the future, as I'm sure we'll be getting better acquainted with your Carol and my Tristan. A slight pause as the Clearies gawked at each other. 
You're Tristan, Sir Ronald, began Colin as Christine's eyes shot up. Oh, I hope I'm not putting me big size nines in it. I hear your cattle is slipping away for a quiet supper for two after the after-party with my nephew Tristan. Sir Tristan Goodall, he's chairman of the local football club. Don't worry, thoroughly good chap. He's lined up to take over from me as Sheriff of Oxford when I step down. Anyway, enough gossip. Enjoy your evening. And with that, Sir Ronald Knightley melted into the crowd. Sir Ronald was joined that evening by a myriad of well-dressed gents, ladies in finery, young, old from all walks of life and backgrounds, going out of their way to stop by the table and heap praise, some of them almost welling up on their daughter, their Carol, their sturdy, silly daughter. They found it easy enough to slip into the role of shy but proud parents. Of course, underneath it all, she had inherited some of their business now, some whatnot after all. Yes, they should give themselves a big pat on the back for the way their offspring had turned out. It was a lovely evening all in all, and once the crowds had spoken to Carol and her parents and the classy singer had taken her place at the grand piano, Carol turned to her mum and dad with their shining eyes. I hope you enjoyed yourselves tonight. Lovely bit of dinner, wasn't it? Oh, it was fab hour, Carol. You know how proud we've always been of you. And it's about time other people realised it too. Although, we weren't expecting all these knobs and aristocrats and lord mayors and whatnot. We didn't realise the circles you were moving in. You kept that very quiet. Well, she takes after me, Carl. Very modest. She doesn't go blowing her own trumpet about like Marlene, does she? And what's all this business about the palace and Sir Tristan? You have been very cagey, our girl. You better be giving your old mum a bit of notice to get a hat if you're going up to Buckhouse, as I know most folk take their parents with them to get to Meadow. I saw that headline. I need to get up to the big marks and sparks at Bluewater. <gasps> oh no, Christine. You'll be wanting to go to that Gucci place. Get a few tips from our carol about why the smart set is getting themselves all doled up these days. Oh, but Colin, will she be our carol by then? Or will she be Lady Tristan Goodall? <gasps> you must introduce us, Carol. We'd love to meet this chap. Has he mentioned any ring shopping over Christmas at all? Carol spent a lovely half hour or so listening to her parents, wittering a very different tune from the one she'd heard all her life. Smiling shyly until her face ached, she packed them off in a late taxi with apologies that they hadn't met Tristan, who was caught up in a late-night takeover powwow with the Premier League bigwigs. She walked wearily, but happily back to the Lancaster room, where upon entering, she received another round of applause. This time, she walked to the days and took up the microphone herself. Well, wow, what a lovely night we've all had. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, and thanks everyone especially for being on the lemonade tonight. I think we've pulled a stupendous night out the bag and it's time for you to get a proper drink and enjoy the real party. Her final words went unheard as the crowd rushed to the bar. The lights dim and the Lord Mayor took off his chain and his robe. And Carol sat back at the table, kicked off her shoes and poured herself another glass of champagne. Despite her parents' pleas, Carol skipped the unexpected invitation to Christmas dinner at her parents' house and enjoyed a ready meal for one, a tub of roses and a jumbo bottle of Baileys in front of the King and I. Bliss. She made her way down from Oxford in the week between Christmas and New Year's and found her parents looking rather grim. 
the frowns and moos firmly back in place. They made a coffee in the good cups and she settled into the armchair with a mince pie in a freshly manicured hand. Lemaine, Hermes nail enamel in rose to knees. I mean, we were absolutely gobsmacked, weren't we, Colin? Hmm, your mother's putting it mildly, Carol. We certainly had the rug pulled. We really have. Our Martin and Marlene being arrested like that. I still don't know the full truth, but apparently it was all over the Twitters and the Instabook and all that. What an embarrassment. Did you know about any of this, Carol? Any of this benefits cheating malarkey? Although, come to think of it, our Martin does seem to have a lot more money than work and our Marlene, well, she just used to get her hair done and sit about with a cappuccino and a couple of cucumbers over her eyes most days. So maybe we've just been too blind, too trusting, Colin. I just wonder what happened for him to get arrested. Carol made all the right noises and said it may well have been one of those anonymous tipsters that grasped Martin and Marlene up. Probably a typist in an office with time on her hands, googling the benefits cheat hotline and making mischief. And she thought it only fair to ask her parents if Martin and Marlene were almost net zero with an electric car, was it not a little hypocritical to have that Christmas tree in their garden lit up like the Crystal Palace? That must have been a bit of a drain on the national grid in the economic climate. And Colin and Christine heartily agreed and fetched the after eights as the new Miss Marple special started. stayed on at her parents for a couple of extra days. It was annoying, but she knew the end game was in sight when her parents mentioned the family solicitor coming over for a sherry and a slice of Yule log. She knew another thread was being pulled tighter as they sat around the proper dining table instead of on the sofa and the solicitor pulled out some draft documents for her parents to peruse and said they may be wise to go ahead with the new plan after all. The new plan was laid out to Carol that evening as some Pringles and Doritos were laid out in bowls. What with the Martin and Marlene debacle revealing their true colours, Carol's parents now saw it was more prudent to put things into her hands after they'd gone. What with her now being a mover and shaker and rubbing shoulders with the town hall glitterati and Sir Tristan and the like. They spent a couple of hours before Love Actually started going over the detail of all the shareholdings. The savings, the big house, the summer house, the country house, the villa in Marbella, the London Pied-à-Terre and the Cotswolds bolt holes and a little of the basics of the business that was going to be floated on the stock exchange come the new year. Colin and Christine ended the conflab by announcing how proud they were of her, how they'd always been so proud and they were right to bide their time before making this announcement that they'd been mulling for some time. Getting used to the right noises, Carol made them once more as she set off on New Year's Eve with a promise to return and get some papers signed, which is all the more important since being let out on bail, Martin and Marlene had fled to Benidorm and their phones were now dead. Returning back to her pokey flat in Oxford, Carol minded less than usual. It may take a while, but very soon the life of a humble typist would be far behind her. She'd have to put in a bit more time at the dingy office, but at her time of life and with so few skills, there wasn't much hope of getting a better job now. And what with her stupendous achievement, it was all a bit of a moot point now. Like Carol Vorderman, Carol had always been good at maths, and despite what they thought of her, Carol had always paid attention to her parents chatting about the business, 
and had learned a thing or two. Perhaps her mum was right, she had inherited some business house from them. It would taken her a year and a half to put the whole thing together, and had her parents known, they would have been proud of her much sooner. Yes, her wage as a typist was pretty small, but she'd lived frugally and only had the pokey flat to splash out on, but it had been worth saving every penny. The actors were second only in cost to the booking out of the Randolph Hotel for the whole evening. But what fine actors they were. She'd spent a good few months matching them to look as much alike as the real Leslie Ackroyd, Lord Mayor of London, the real Sir Ronald Knightley, etc, etc, that any non-local looking them up would think they were the real deal. The cast of a thousand die-hard fans, all paid double not to drink until after the event and after her parents had left, had done amazingly, and that blonde guy who'd knocked up all the fake newspapers had really knocked it out of the park. Although it wasn't too hard to make up this sort of thing with today's modern software, it was quite the art to get the authentic look of a newspaper. So hats off to Leon Crabb from the PR department, whoever he may be. The invitation had looked pretty special too, and she was glad that she had made it at the Randolph Hotel, just to make sure that her parents would actually come. And they'd only come, obviously, to tell their Martin and Marlene where they'd been. And the dress hire for the cheap Gucci knockoff wasn't too bad at all either. Dipping into the Bailey's bottle once more, Carol poured out herself a large glass as she got into yet another luxuriant oil bath. Toasting herself this time after all her hard work, 18 months in the making. But if she really thought about it, it was 40 years in the making. Probably round about the time her parents had pulled her from her beloved St Timothy's. She'd spent the decades in between plotting Martin's toppling and planning a wonderful life for herself. And, with the help of some fantastic actors, the gorgeous Randolph Hotel, the criminal tendencies of Martin and Marlene and the dim-witted snobbery of her parents, she pulled it off. Settling into an armchair as the Muppets Christmas film was about to start, she placed an online order for a toffee-coloured leather skirt that was very similar to one she'd seen Carol Vorderman wearing at the Pride of Britain Awards and booked herself into the nail salon, Yves Saint Laurent, belly their beige, French manicure. And draining the dregs from the Baileys, she toasted herself once more. Here's to me. Merry Christmas, Carol. Merry Christmas, Carol, was written, narrated, and produced by Emma Sheehan for the Ordinary People's Theatre.